This is the Heartland Community Church Podcast with part three of the series, Before I Die, by co-lead pastor Eric Parks. Do you have a picture of what you want your life to look like? Do you have a vision of what you hope this one and only life that you have will turn out to be? And here's what I know. God has a life in mind for you. Like, he has a life filled with purpose and passion and meaning and hope. Like, that's for you. If you can hear my voice, it's for you. And yet, we also know that too often, that life, we don't always find it and live it. Like, before you die, what do you want to do? I was thinking about this in terms of the Bible and some things that resonate in me. And as I thought about the idea of what is it that I want to do before I die, I came across a passage. The message version says it really, really well. It says, if the master wills it and I'm still alive, I'll do it. If the master wills it and I'm still alive, I'll do it. So let me pray and then we'll jump in. God, help us see all that you have for our lives. And even if we don't believe it, have enough faith to step toward a life filled with what you had in mind for each of us, passion and purpose. In Jesus' name, amen. Let me tell you, this talk is a little different because I'm gonna reflect on a moment in my life that has been one of those moments that I think reflects how it is that we can live the way that I think God wants us to live. Now, here's what you need to know. I'm not perfect. In fact, I've made so many mistakes in my my life. This next few minutes of storytelling is more about what happens when you you find something. You know, like sometimes I just stumble upon something and, and I think this story is one of those stories. Like stumbling into a simple yes and watching God use a simple yes to do something absolutely, like for me, mind-blowing, mind-blowing. And it all started in, in 2017. So before I came to Heartland, I was on staff at a church in Colorado, and one of the things that I oversaw was everything globally. So oftentimes, I would get phone calls or emails from people who were doing work abroad. Sometimes it was missions work, um, Sometimes it was significant aid organizations. Either way, I get a call from a really nice lady and said, hey, I want to meet with you and tell you about some work that's being done in India. Now, I've never been to India. Um, I've read about it. I certainly didn't know that one quarter of the world, world's population that doesn't know Jesus lives in India. That's one out of four, because there are a lot of people in the country So this lady, Nancy, shows up at my office and tells me this stat, and I was like, wow, that's a lot. And then she began to tell me about the work that her organization did. And it was in that meeting that I found myself having my mind blown by everything she was telling me. The fact that they had started, like, um, 
30,000 churches and seen 800,000 people come to follow Jesus. I honestly, honestly, if I'm being honest, I couldn't even believe that to be true. And, and it was one of those moments where uh, after finishing this presentation, she made a simple ask. She said, Eric, I know it's hard to believe. So do you want to see it? And I got to be honest with you. I have, I had three kids, one in college, one that was in high school, one that was, um, I was just trying to keep alive, Harry. My life was so busy and so full, my initial response was absolutely not. I don't have time to get on a plane, travel to India, to see your missions. I just don't have time to do this. Like, isn't this the way it works? So often, when God opens doors for us, we can find a million reasons to say no. And um, I'm so grateful that I found maybe one or two reasons to make a simple yes. Simple yes. 12 weeks later, I'm on an airplane. I'm flying to Delhi. Here we are. Some of the things that I see is absolutely mind-blowing. We were in Varanasi, we were in Bhopal, we traveled the country and saw churches springing up in the most obscure, the places that they were, basements of homes and rundown schools. And I'll tell you, Nancy, while she's a really nice lady, she's a beast. Like, she put me on uh, a whirlwind tour. And for the next 10 days, it was literally, I slept barely double-digit hours. I smelled, I was stinky, and, and it just so happened that all of this trip coincided with my birthday. And so on March 3rd, exhausted, seeing all that I had seen, my mind is absolutely um, swimming. I dragged myself onto a night train that's going from Bhopal to Agra. I dragged myself onto a top of this metal rack, and, and I fell asleep. I woke up the next morning on my birthday, the train screeching, no air conditioning, probably 95 degrees outside. So you can imagine what it was in. And I got this email from my wife on my birthday. She said, Eric, I know your birthday's coming to an end in India, but we just woke up to it. How fun that your birthday lasts two days this year. You deserve to be doubly blessed. I don't know another soul who works as hard and is capable of doing more than you. You amaze me, truly. I love this about you. And then, then she said this. She said, thank you for being a man who cares about those living in underdeveloped countries and will travel the world to find ways for the church to help. I love this about you. That was three years ago, and it, it's really, it speaks to me the way that it spoke to me then. The truth is, I don't want to be on the train. I didn't want to travel all across India. I made this simple yes, but in that moment, I wanted to be that guy more than anything else. Like, I wanted to be that guy. 
like this vision of being somebody who does what Jesus asked them to do. I'm like, I, I want more of that in my life. And it's interesting because I think too often when it comes to living our best, we don't have a vision of what the best is. If Dallas Willard says it this way, if we're ever going to be formed spiritually into the likeness of Jesus, into that person he thought up, you have to have a vision. He says you have to have a, he calls it vim, vision, intention, means. But you have to have a vision for what your life looks like. And this is why Heartland, a church for anyone and everyone matters. Because there's so many people in our world that no one said that to them. No one's seen a spark of beauty in their soul. No one's complimented their work. No one's told them that they're worth more than their past or the mistakes that they've made. That they're more than the sum of what their life has been. See, this is why our church has to exist. A place where the broken come and we tell them, listen, that, you could be that. Was I all that? No. I didn't want to go. I kind of went feeling like I had to or something. It was a simple yes. I, I didn't feel like I was fully that person. But when I read that email, I aspired to be more of that than I ever had in my life. I got off the train and I felt this burst of energy like, I could do this. Like, I, I want to be that guy. I got off the train and Agra, and Nancy told me, okay, so today you're going to be preaching in a house church. I didn't know what that meant exactly, but I wandered downstairs in the basement of a Hindu man, and I found the most beautiful picture of what church is, should be. It was a basement filled with literally hundreds of former Hindus who were now followers of Jesus, hundreds. They were literally across the ground, um, not on chairs. They were sitting on the ground on little bitty mats, crammed in. They were up the stairs, peeking their heads down. It is the most unglamorous setting I'd ever walked into for a church, and yet there was something that felt so alive. I took two plastic chairs, I put one on top of the other, and I began to give a message. It had to be translated. And when I was done, the pastor's little girl, she might have been 14 or 15, closed my message in a song. She sang, good, good father. Again, I started to cry. I, I, I looked over at my friend, I'm like, man, wouldn't it be awesome if some of the people that we lead in our ministry could hear that? He whispered back at me and he goes, why can't they? We got back in the truck and, and I started thinking about this simple yes that got me to India and put me on that train, that put me in that room. And I had this prompting, well, Eric, maybe it's just another simple yes. I got back to the United States. I gathered a team of these young worship leaders and I said, I have an idea. I want to take you to see what the early church looks like. Now, no one really knew why in the world we were doing this. I just thought it was important. 
I wasn't really sure why. I just knew it was a simple yes. I felt like God was saying, hey, you go do this. And so 10 months later, I packed up eight of my friends. We got onto a plane. I went back to India. Yeah, I can't wait to fall asleep. We led in those same small house church dwellings. We went to Varanasi where all of the Hindu gurus were and we had our own worship set out on um, the, uh, the Ganges. It was absolutely glorious. We led in the home of a pastor who brings handicapped and mentally ill men into his own home to rehabilitate because everybody else had given up on him. That's where we led, all over India. None of them were beautifully lit. None of them look like a church you and I would normally visit. But every single place we went, it felt like Jesus was there. We just had this posture of, yes. We got back to the United States with that team. I watched something happen in their life because of this simple little act. yes, right? And then I got tapped on the shoulder. My friend and leader of the church that I served said, hey, maybe you should share a little bit about what you experienced in India. And so I said another little yes. Now I didn't teach a ton, but I felt like God said, go and share what you saw. So I stood up on a weekend. My friend Corbin, who many of you know, who's actually on our team, had gone with me and filmed some footage from India. So he put together a few pieces and I went to share with all of these thousands of Coloradans what I saw in the, in the early church there in India. I talked about all the places that we visited, how pastors would skip meals on Fridays in certain areas of these house churches, pack up the meals that they skipped, that they fasted, and serve homeless men and women on the side of the street, the train station. I told this story and I said, you know, many of the pastors that I met, that came to Jesus through an organization called Impart, and they trained for a year and then Empart would release them into their villages to spread the gospel and they'd give them a bike and a Bible and a bongo. And I came off of the stage preaching and I had this guy come up to me. He said, hey, can I talk to you for a minute? Sure. It was a Sunday where I'd really wanted to see a Broncos game, but I'm like, little yes. Okay, sure. He said, hey, listen, I heard you say that. Um, they give these pastors bikes. I'm like, yeah. He goes, well, have you ever thought about making a bike? I'm like, no, I don't know how to make bikes. And he goes, well, you know, I heard you talking about little yeses and, and how, well, the one thing I know how to do is make bikes. I actually works for a specialized bike company. And I wondered if maybe we should make bikes for these pastors. And in that moment, I went, yeah, 
We should. A little yes, right? The little yes that got me on a train, that got me with that group of worship leaders back in India, got me on a stage with this guy and another little yes where I said, sure, sure. I don't even know how we would do that. We don't have any money, but sure. And so over the next nine months, we went on this journey to figure out how could we make bikes for pastors that could help transport the gospel into all these different places in India. Well, we designed a bike. He did. I watched. We found a manufacturer in Southeast Asia and in India. And then we're like, okay, now we have to figure out how to pay for this. And so I stood up. I wasn't supposed to speak at the worship gathering that was happening. But out of the blue, God opened the door, and there was a worship gathering where several thousand people were. And I was allowed to share a little bit about what I experienced in India. Remember the little yes where I got on the train, went to that church, brought some of my friends, and now I was designing a bike, and I just stood up and said, listen, if we could get a 1,000 bikes sponsored, that would be something like 70,000 people that would come to Jesus in the next 10 years, so would you consider it? And you know how many bikes we got sponsored? 2,000, like that. So then I called him part, and I said, okay, can you find a home for 2,000 bikes? And they, of course, said yes. So we started manufacturing the bikes. I went back a year and a half from the first day I stepped foot in India. We brought bikes and showed these pastors. And it was like Christmas, man. Like, this is the bike you're going to get. This is the bike. It's unbelievably cool, but built for the terrain that they would be driving in. This was just about a year ago. Simple yes that led to one thing that led to another. And then I got an email. May. In part. I said, hey, Eric, just so you know, our organization is one of the few organizations that has been tapped and allowed by the government to help with the COVID response. Oh, and you know the bikes that you made? They're using your bikes. 2,000 bikes are being spread across India to help respond to what might be the greatest catastrophe India's seen in a generation. And in the email, they said, and your bikes are saving tens of thousands of lives. Look, I'm a nobody. I'm never the smartest person in the room. I'm never the most talented. I'm never the best looking. I do have a nice beard, but that's about it. But here's what I've learned is that if I'm gonna live the life that Jesus has in mind for me and do the things before I die that he wants me to do, it isn't about some grand master plan. I couldn't have dreamt that up. How in the world could I dream? These bikes that we made are gonna help save all of these people. All it was was a simple yes. And it goes all the way back to 2017. A simple yes when God opened the door. A simple yes. And so this is what I want to challenge you with. There are three things that get in the way of every simple yes. Three things I think that happen way too often. Number one, too often God opens a door and the reason why we don't step through it to that simple yes is because too many of us 
feel like we have something to prove. Listen, can I say this to you? Too many of you have lived your life trying to prove your dad wrong, prove your mom wrong, prove that group that teased you wrong. You feel this burden to make enough money and it drives so much of your decision-making. C.S. Lewis calls it the fallacy of the inner circle. You have this group that you're trying to please, that you're performing for, but you know what it is? It's like doing a stage play with all the lights and all the pomp and circumstance and then turning on the room light and realizing nobody's there. Listen, don't let trying to prove something get in the way of a simple yes. The sooner we begin to learn that we have nothing to prove, like the reality is because of Jesus, He's made us right. We've got nothing to prove. You know, the second thing that I think so often gets in the way of simple yeses that God can use to do massive, life, world-impacting things is that too often we're afraid of we have something to lose. Do you know that I think one of the things that thwarts more destinies than anything is a little bit of success. You know what I mean? Like you get a little bit of success in your life and all of a sudden, now the goal is to protect and build a wall around that stuff, that car, that house, that thing, that job. Too many of us. We've said no to opportunities that God has brought our way in simple little yeses. Homeless men and women on the street, something you could have done in a small group because we're afraid of what we might lose. We're not generous in spirit. And let me say to us as a church, our best days, they are ahead of us. God didn't bring us this far to abandon us. But I'm going to tell you, we have to be a place that says yes, that we're not here to try to build a wall around our little kingdom. That isn't what we're going to do. We know there is a community that needs to know Jesus and we have to start saying yes, not building a wall to protect the stuff we have. And then lastly, I think, last thing that too often gets in the way of little yeses is too many of us are hiding from something. You you, you, you know hiding, right? You know, so often hiding, the reason we hide, the reason we hide from others or hide things is because we just have lived a life in fear. Fear. That truthfully, you learned along the way, fear of who you are, fear of what someone might think, fear of what you might lose, just fear. We live in fear. This is why the Bible is consistently saying, stop fearing, stop it. When you're in Jesus, you don't have to be afraid. Nothing to prove, nothing to lose, nothing to hide. That's the formula for saying little yeses.
You know, I, I think for me, as I become older and hopefully a little wiser, I've also become pretty settled in this reality. First John 3, 1 John 3.1 says, See what kind of love the Father has given us, that we should be called children of God. And so we are. You know, if there's a verse that inspires me to say with boldness, I've got nothing to prove, nothing to lose, and nothing to hide, it's that verse because the reality is in Jesus, he makes me who I am. It's all through him, all in him. It's all his, my life, all of it. And this is the freedom of living in Jesus. Nothing to prove. Nothing to lose. Nothing to hide. And when we get in that space, can I tell you, that it makes it easy to live out that verse if the master wills it and I'm still alive, I'll do it. Heartland, before you die, what is it you really want to do? How do you really want to live? And isn't it worth stepping towards Jesus so that you can embrace the reality of who you are and begin to open up to these little yeses that he brings your way. You are his masterpiece. He has a plan and a purpose for you. Plan to prosper you, not to harm you. But you, you still have to say yes. Let's pray. God, I pray that you would help us in this season step toward you and live the life you had in mind. Help us say yes to these little moments that when they're in your hand can lead to unbelievable things. And help us to embrace that it is in you that we truly have nothing to prove, nothing to lose, and nothing to hide. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to part three of Before I Die with Eric Parks, co-lead pastor at Heartland Community Church. You can experience the entire service this message came from by going to heartland.cc and clicking on the watch page or on YouTube at Heartland CC Rockford or you can watch it on the Heartland CC app. Thanks for listening.